Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? Not a whole lot. I mean, I'm back to being obsessed with the daily numbers for COVID, (laughs) I think, like everyone else. Um, But I'm also, like, feeling extremely high risk tolerance just to get my kids out of this house. So I'm counting down the days to school star. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm in a weird place. Oh. I am in Portland right now. Oh. (laughs) So sorry if the sound isn't as good as it usually is. I'm like doing what I can uh, where I'm staying. But um, no, I did not fly to Portland. I took a very, very long drive out to Portland um, just to try to help with some of the activism that's happening here. And it's been quite a weird experience. It's like got into the city and you wouldn't believe it. There's like, there's Black Lives Matter posters and signs everywhere, like on almost every storefront. Wow. Um, Yeah. There's like every building has signs in its, in its windows. And it's like, wow, so strange. And, you know, I arrived uh, with another activist uh, after 1 a.m. a couple days ago. And we get to this place that we're staying at. It's a hotel. Uh, It's like a community hotel, too. So it has a lot of links with other activists in the city. And uh, it has Black Lives Matter signs all over the windows. And uh, the other activist I'm traveling with goes up to the front door and the staff person, um, you know, the front door is locked. The staff person comes over, cracks it open a bit, looks up my friend from head to toe, like a really exaggerated looking up and down and says, yes, are you a guest here? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's the city of Portland. Lots of Black Lives Matter signs. Um, Not super friendly to actual black people. (laughs) That, That has been my experience. So Portland is not going to be the city that starts the American Revolution uh, redux or or what? (laughs) It doesn't really seem like it. It seems like it seems like a lot of um, if I were to describe like the personality of Portland, it feels like Canada in that it likes to it's like we're a really progressive city. We've got all this progressive shit going on. Very much the same as Canada. And likes to sweep under the rug um, anything awful that's actually happening that they could address head on. <laughs> so, you know, perfect. It's a, it's like, you know, Portland could be in Canada could be uh, could house Portland quite well. That is so interesting. And it makes me think a little bit about what today's topic is going to be, which is the way that the left generally and I'm, I mean, maybe the left, the institutional left Uh, has failed to capture this moment and organize. And I mean, Portland from the outside seems to be ground zero of progressive organizing. But of course, there's been a lot of comments around how the, uh, what is it, the fence of moms? uh, (laughs) Wall of moms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How it's uh, like very white and problematic. Um, And uh, I imagine you probably got a bit of a look at that 
Um, but if you're saying that it's very similar to Canada, uh, of course, this this episode will talk about Canada and and how like this moment is such an amazing moment. And there's a lot of amazing activism that's going on right now. And I keep wondering, where is the, the institutional left when in, in any of these conversations, in any of these actions? Where are you or they? Yeah, it really feels like. You know, it's like, hello, have you have you realized where we are? Have you realized what is happening historically right now, the potential of this moment and how you could contribute to it? Uh, because it seems, you know, if I was running a large institution, a union, um, a progressive organization, a not-for-profit, whatever, I would be trying to uh, provide as much support as possible to all of the action that's happening on the ground. And that's simply not happening, I don't think, either in the United States or Canada in the way that it should be. And, uh, yeah, you know, people really do think, you know, a lot of stuff is happening in Portland, and it is. Um, but it's also a city of 650,000 people, which I, I didn't even realize um, before coming here how small it is. Uh, and I think that I think that there's a reason why the federal government has focused in on this really small community, small but progressive-minded um, community, um, to try to, to to try to break um, any feelings of solidarity or movement building. But before we get into it, I know that we have people to thank. We do. So thanks to everybody who became a, 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 a Patreon for the first time or who changed their donations. Uh, so this week, that is thanks so much to Haidao, to Dahlia, to Angela, Sarah, Josie, Bronwyn, Anna, E.T., Barbara, Glenn, Rachel, Jackie, Ali, Sydney, Jeremy, Claire, Jesse, Patrick, PBG, and Ella. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we have a couple of exciting things that'll be coming up in the next couple of months, which we aren't going to announce yet, but we will announce them soon. And, you know, every single day that passes is the day closer to us getting out of this pandemic. And so I am just so excited for that moment where we will be able to meet a lot of you in person, uh, have these conversations in person, and just, like, hang out again Um Someday it'll be so sweet when that actually happens. <laughs> also, a couple more housekeeping things. Uh, last week, we spoke a little bit about um, the uh, Toronto Public Library and their event that they were going to put on and um, the fact that uh, that event was eventually cancelled because of, well, we don't know why. Some people say that it was because of the technical difficulties they had. It may have also been because of people who refused to participate. Uh, one of the panelists, Brittany Andrew Amofa, contacted me. Uh, she just wanted to make sure that the listeners also knew that she also refused to participate uh, as a result of uh, TPL's um, really disgusting transphobic uh, decision uh, to give Megan Murphy a platform. So just wanted to make sure that the listeners knew that. And we also want to let you know that the union um, where uh, uh, that uh, represents the workers at the Toronto Public Library, QP 4948, might be interested in uh, creating 
um, recreating that event. And so for those of you who would have wanted to hear um, a discussion about online organizing, it may still happen from the union. So thank you so much to those union folks uh, for for making that happen and trying to organize it. And I, and I really hope it comes to fruition. It's uh, really, really great um, to see uh, them step up in that way. So great folks there. Yeah, well, what a great example of a union taking this moment, seizing this moment and doing something interesting with it. I think, you know, when we were talking just before the show about how we can uh, craft, I guess, this week's episode, we were both left with this question, where is the institutional left? And, and, and maybe it's worthwhile just saying who I think the institutional left is, because that's, that's not necessarily clear, I think, to everybody. So, so when I say the institutional left, I'm talking about unions and not-for-profits that are progressive, not not-for-profits that aren't progressive, and the NDP. Um, and you know, this is this is one of these moments where people, average people, are learning new things. I mean, every week there's a new corruption scandal with the liberals. This week there was another one announced by the Globe and Mail that Katie Telford's husband, Rob Silver, uh, was working for a company that got an $84 million contract from the federal government. And so average people are like, what, what the hell is this? Like, how do we get involved? How do we fight back? How do we fight back against something like long-term care, which is one of the biggest things that we have to change? And instead of seeing the institutional left lead any sort of resistance, the resistance that we've seen has been really grassroots and has been uh, civil rights movements, really, of, of people who are fighting for access to justice or access to land. And I, I, I want to shout out the folks uh, outside of uh, or near Caledonia, Six Nations, who are doing amazing work right now. If you haven't seen the resistance that's happening at uh, 1492 Landback Lane, uh, you should definitely, definitely check it out. But Sandy, where is the institutional left? You know, I don't really know. And it it is um, it's really heartbreaking, actually, to know that we could be in the midst of a moment like the moment that we're in. And uh, the left uh, could be just kind of like abandoning us, <laughs> it feels like. I mean, I've seen, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've participated in, I've participated in workshops where unions are educating their members. And that's certainly necessary, right? Like those types of political education tools are wonderful. Um, But I think that maybe unions and membership-based organizations and not-for-profits really miss an opportunity to engage when they don't think of grassroots activists as part of the people whom they serve and could provide resources to. Um, One simple way that I think about this that I think is just, you know, interesting is that, uh, you know, we... uh, Active Black Lives Matter activists, uh, myself included, in the last few months dev- designed this website, defundthepolice.org, where we were doing all sorts of research and putting together um, uh, arguments that people could use locally, very high level and nothing too specific so that people could use um, uh, the talking points wherever they needed to. We had to hire researchers to do that. And we shouldn't have had to hire researchers, you know, like, um, I think it's great that we did. We have a great research team. 
but there's so many organizations that have uh, excellent researchers, excellent research teams. And, uh, you know, I feel like they should have contacted us and just been like, what do you need? Like, do you need space? Do you need researchers? Uh, do you need food? Do you need what, whatever it is that you folks need? Uh, we can be a part of building that for you because, uh, you know, we're an institution and we're well organized and we have this bureaucracy. I mean, what, why have the bureaucracy if you're not going to be able to use it in a time like now where the largest global movement ever, ever to have existed on this earth is, is fighting for justice. Totally. I mean, this is the, the time for the left to use those resources and those staff hours to actually do something. And, you know, we, you, we'll talk about examples and we've already talked about a couple of examples, but, but I, I like to think about like how the, 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 the labor movement, for example, mobilizes around something like an election. During an election, it's like all hands on deck. We're going to get good people elected. This is our only chance once every four years or once every two years, if you count provincial elections as well. And they make a concerted effort to get people into positions where they can influence the elections, whether that's door knocking or whether that's actually helping to coordinate campaigns or whatever. Like they actually do that kind of work. Uh, there's none of that happening right now. And instead, it's it seems like everyone is just like completely freaked out. Like the anxiety level that exists across society seems to be like even worse on the left. <laughs> I don't know if that's just something I've perceived or if it's if, if you've seen that as well. But it's like there is this anxiety that that no one seems to be able to figure out how social change happens. And so rather than talking about the ways for us to organize, and this is the case across Canada. I mean, Quebec is the exact same thing right now in the rest of Canada, I would say, on the left. No one's talking about how do we organize to take down the, the government? How do we organize to force them to hire more teachers or to make school class sizes smaller or whatever? But instead, everyone's just like, oh, oh my God, teachers are going to die. Oh my God, students are going to die. <laughs> and I, I just, it's like, if now is when we absolutely need for you and your resources and your money and your staff and your researchers to actually intervene in these movements, like, where are you? <laughs> Why is everyone just being anxious at home and freaking out and not offering these things? Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like maybe we've forgotten, like, on the institutional left how to dream or something. Like, I don't know what it is that is stagnating us, but come on. I mean, in Canada, the unions uh, and the institutional left really do have quite a bit of power, even though it may seem like sometimes that they don't. You folks control a lot. I know that you can flex when you need to. And so, you know, I saw this uh, idea pop up on Twitter of like, hey, if we're nervous about um, reopening schools, then why are we not um, tapping our uh, public broadcaster to be a part of broadcasting school for everyone? It's a public broadcaster. <laughs> why wouldn't that be an option? Um, either audio or television. And it's like, could the unions not come together to, to demand something like that? Could it not be a coalition? of the education unions, maybe even the library unions, um, maybe even the um, uh, journalism unions and uh, on-air broadcaster unions. Like, could we not get a cross-section of people like that to come together? Could we not get the NDP on board with something like that? It seems like 
honestly, there's solutions for everything, but the only solutions um, that the our society are, is willing to engage with are solutions that work for very wealthy people. Like wealthy people aren't sending their kids back to school to be um, in danger. They're like organizing these pods, <laughs> you know, organizing these pods where their kids will get dedicated tutors. It's like, okay, great. And the rest of us are going to have to deal with these spikes um, if we have a government that doesn't give a shit about us and is going to have these large class sizes. Well, look, can we not have some of these institutional left um, uh, bodies, um, you know, be really forceful in, in confronting the expectations that are levied upon our workers? And look, I know, I know the unions must be really stretched right now. A lot of people have, have lost their jobs. And then there's also the people who have been forced to remain in their jobs unjustly. I know. But we can't just keep operating as though it's business as usual and just take every individual case and start to argue about them or to demand um, uh, that things reopen so that our workers can get back to work and safely or demand uh, that our workers have more protections. That's not good enough. We have to do more. Um, And, you know... (laughs) We've got to start breaking uh, the playing boards, the game boards um, that our, our our conservative politicians are are putting out there for us um, to to argue for scraps on. Like they're they're setting up um, a situation where they're like, here's the only options that are available. We can smash that game board. We can think beyond the options that they give us and say like. Doesn't it make sense to have the public broadcaster be a part of something like this? Uh, Doesn't it make sense to have other options available? Like if this is what the wealthy are doing, can't all all of our children have those opportunities as well? We've got to be able to dream. It seems so obvious to me that if you've got a whole bunch of people in one sector and they threaten to shut down their sector over a certain demand, you will amplify the power that they have. And like, we are existing in a world where, as I said, everyone is afraid. There's this generalized anxiety, but there's also like a really scary movement that's seems to be growing of people who are willing to go into the streets and demand their right to not wear a mask or whatever or they don't believe coronavirus exists. And that's happening at the same time that we're also seeing infection rates creep up in British Columbia, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Uh, rates are doing really, really well in Ontario, but you know who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks as they've gone to phase three in more parts of the province. Um, and then Quebec is kind of like just remaining even keeled. So you've got this combination of people who are like skeptical of the whole situation at all and people who don't give a rat's ass or they're going to parties or they're getting infected somehow or they're being forced to work and they're getting infected at work. And that's going to continue to create the situation where more and more infections are happening. And it's like, at what point do people say, OK, we actually have to force government action. We have to force Doug Ford into X. We have to force Francois Legault into Y. We have to force Justin Trudeau to continue the CERB. I mean, there has been zero worker action demanding the CERB be improved. 
Like, that is so pathetic. I don't know where the Canadian Labor Congress is on this stuff. I don't know where many of the large unions are on this stuff. There hasn't been a single office occupation. There hasn't been any disrupting of a press conference. There hasn't been any direct action from Labor. And it's like, guys... Like, EI is insufficient. People are not getting the CERB. The, the, there aren't enough protections for people. No one is actually demanding childcare in any kind of fundamental way. Like, at what point have we completely forgot how social change happens? Like, who, if not these folks, who in the fuck is supposed to be doing it? And then the, the answer, of course, is then you see, you know, then average folks involved with BLM or average folks involved at Six Nations being like, no, no, we're going to do this. We're going to take power in our own hands. We're going to fight the police. We're going to fight uh, what, you know, the, the, the powers that are arranging things, stacking the deck against us. But like it cannot be left to people who are the most oppressed to change society. Like, my God, I mean, I feel like I'm just ranting because I'm so like. I guess I'm really pissed about this. I haven't really talked about it with anybody. I feel similarly. And having worked at unions for some time, I know that it can feel like there's absolutely no way to change the power structure. It just seems like there's, uh, you know, I think a lot of entrenchment of the way that things are done. Unions are very focused on, you know, the convention, the big AGM meeting, uh, what have you, um, uh, bargaining, and and that's it. Um, oh, and also, of course, elections, when the elections come up. And, you know, it's like right now, society is like falling apart. <laughs> like, if there was ever a time to do more than that, to not just focus on strikes, to maybe think about a wildcat strike, if that's something that um, where workers are at a desperate situation. And I can imagine that some industries are having some really desperate workers right now. Now is the time to do it. We are about to embark on a homelessness situation um, that our country has never seen. The unemployment rate is very high. Uh, StatsCan released uh, unemployment data last week um, uh, coming out of uh, COVID. Black people's uh, unemployment rate is just under 17% right now in Canada. It's unbelievable what's happening. And at the same time, we have a situation where police budgets continue to go up. At the same time, we have a situation where cuts that have been made to education remain. Like nobody has uh, said maybe this is time to reverse this because we obviously need uh, more resources going into education right now. We haven't made the sort of changes that we need to make to healthcare uh, that are obvious that they need to be made because of what's happening right now to long-term care. Unions are so intimately close to these issues because, of course, it's those workers, those unionized workers, who can tell um, their unions exactly what is going on that needs to shift and needs to change. So... Where are you in the public discourse? Why are you not driving the media stories? The media stories that are coming out every week are about, you know, what is Justin Trudeau saying now about this? What is Doug Ford saying about this? What fucking weird conspiracy theory led 
rally is happening today <laughs> from some weirdos who are arguing that we shouldn't have to, to wear masks. What video has gone viral of someone yelling at, uh, at a very nice restaurant worker or something like that? Here's a party that's happening over here. You'll have a couple of stories, maybe about some terrible things that are happening. And that's about it. Unions should be driving what the human stories are that are coming into our homes through our television sets or wherever we get our news. It should be unions who are driving those stories because that's where the stories are, is where people are working and what issues they come up against in this time. And unfortunately, they're not doing that. And I don't know why you, they all have communications departments. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. It's really dangerous. It's a moment where, like, you know, things are going to shift. The poles are, going, are shifting, right? We can see that power is shifting. We can see that global power is shifting. And I don't think that unions understand that they are in a moment of do or die. Like, they are in a moment of survival or collapse in the same way that every other aspect of our economy and our society is. And I mean, I, you know, as you were talking, I could hear a lot of the folks who I work with being like, well, Nora, like journalists don't listen to us. We can't get fair coverage within the press. And it's like, I, I hear all of that, but I also know how corporate communications works and how much more they are like... <laughs> like emailing journalists or sending them stories or sending them prepackaged whatevers or or relying, you know, like imagining that you can go toe to toe with a corporation in the same way in the press. It's like, no, you make news in different ways. And the as you said at the beginning, like this lack of of creativity is so dangerous because we can see that it's creativity that has pushed the biggest movements of 2020 forward. And if we agree that something like, you know, uh, long-term care needs to mm -hmm. not be private, let's say, let's say that that's the big lesson that we so far learned from COVID. Okay. So I know that there's a, a, a coalition of unions that has come out and they're going to have a campaign about healthcare, but it's like, that's not enough. Like no offense, but you folks do this every year. And so now the question is like, okay, why is that not enough? Well, it's not enough because we know that obviously unions are going to want public health care. And it's not enough because it's not actually just about private health care in, in, in Ontario, in Alberta. It's not at all about private health care in Quebec. Mostly it's about public health care in Quebec. And so then the question becomes, how do you communicate this with average people? And, and the, the crisis has shown that that passes through your workers themselves by them being able to talk about their working conditions and putting forward uh, the plans to create something new. And then you couple that kind of stuff, not, not appealing to people about, oh, private is bad, private is bad, because it's like, I, I know that. But that's boring. Like, you can't just talk to average people about how private is bad and public is good because a lot of people have a lot of experiences with bad public stuff, too. And so then it's like, OK, so give us the model. Like, how does the model work then if you got rid of, of private home care, private health care, private long term care? What does that look like? And then once you have that, where are you, where are you shutting down press conferences? Where are you? Uh, getting in the face of Doug Ford from a socially distanced perspective. 
and making this as urgent as it feels. Because if your campaign passes through a press release and doesn't pass through an announcement that is like shutting down one of Doug Ford's daily announcements, or if you're not literally in the face of Ariana Legrand who's the fucking um, uh, uh, education minister in Alberta, then of course you're going to be ignored. Of course you are, because you're not a corporation. That like You're never a corporation. No matter how much the new owners of the Toronto Star want to lump labor and big business into the same cup of people, <laughs> you're not that. We absolutely need like rank and file members, right up to shop stewards, right up to local presidents, and then pushing that up to their leadership in the upper echelons of, of labor to start taking that radical action, to start doing those wildcats, and to insist that they do get the coverage and that they're bringing that voice of average people forward that has just been so ignored, so, so, so ignored. Yeah, I'm so glad that, um, you know, you, you talked about that these types of strategies that unions can be taking. But I also want to mention, like, just just think about what's obvious, you know, uh, unions. And, you know, you know, we're picking on the unions a little bit, probably because of just our, our own history with unions and how we understand them. But it's, it's unions, it's not-for-profits, it's uh, think tanks, it's um, the party, the NDP. Like, uh, think about what's obvious. Like, what would you do... In a situation where, like, you know, I'm going to talk about it as though it's theoretical, but it's like, it's real. <laughs> what would you do in a situation where there was, like, this global pandemic <laughs> and a whole bunch of injustice um, that is laid bare and uh, it becomes far more stark and, uh, and than it was before the, the pandemic? And uh, a whole bunch of people are about to become homeless uh, and you know, sh sh the economy's going to shit and people are forcing, uh, kids to go back to school, teachers to go back to work in that situation. Wouldn't like, if it was like a conversation, wouldn't you say like, if this was Nora and me and Nora has made these terrible decisions, I'd be like, fuck you, Nora. That's some bullshit. You know, here are some other options that you could, <laughs> you could think of. And if Nora then said, uh, thanks for that, but I don't actually give a shit. I might slap her across the face. I might, you know, say, I'm never going <laughs> to talk to you again. I might force her to, like, if she started to walk out of the room, I might shut the door behind her and say, actually, you're going to sit here and finish talking to me about this because this is fucking nuts that you would just spit in my eye. And then if she did spit in my eye, I tell you that there would be a fucking fight because I know a little bit of martial arts or something. Do you know what I mean? Like we are literally uh, on the ground here. Be like our eyes are being spit on, you know, like people are, are mm. fucking with us, fucking with our livelihoods. And it's like, you know, people like watch black lives matter and say, Oh, Oh man. So creative, such spectacle. It's like, yes, we are using the politics of, of spectacle, but only because we have to, if the media and politicians and people in power and whatever, ever cared about the shit that we said we wouldn't have to do all of the work to to force people to look at us so that what we say gets coverage and what we say shifts power well it's the same shit with everything else look if you are having difficulty getting journalists to pay attention and tell the stories then fuck some shit up like <laughs> do something about it make it impossible <laughs> not to look at 
you have to make it impossible not to look at because that is the point of desperation that we are at. Like, I don't know, is everybody else living in some non-COVID world where everything's solved already? Sometimes I feel that way. Like, I'm like, what is going on? Because the level of desperation that we are at Right now, I'm like listening to, to the medical experts being like, oh my God, it's about to get so much worse. And I'm like, well, if it's about to get so much worse, where are the people saying, holy hell, stop this? Where are the people crashing Doug Ford's uh, press conferences and Stephen Lecce's press conferences and saying, we will not allow you to go forward with this? Where are these people? What's going on? The power is in the organized organizations, all, who, people who are already organized. And if they're not doing anything, like what is, I just like, are, are our lives not worth it? Like, come on, y'all, like what's going on? Yeah, I want to spend the last bit talking then about the NDP, because I think that, I mean, it's impossible to talk about the institutional left in Canada without talking about the NDP. And, you know, a lot of people look to the NDP and, and want to get signals on what to do. And they look to labor to want to get signals for what to do. A lot of not-for-profits, it's the same thing. And, you know, one of the things that has been so interesting about this podcast is that we hear all the time from people who have never been able to hear this kind of political analysis and think about these kinds of questions and to get involved. Like, they've never been able to figure out how to get involved because it's not necessarily that obvious if you don't if you don't know where to look or if you don't know where to go. And the, the job of the institutional left is to create those spaces so that someone who's curious doesn't have to look too far, that you're actually looking for them. And the second that they email you or they call you or they write a letter to the editor, you're like, oh, that person, that person might be able to start a new chapter in this little community or whatever. And I think that the left has completely forgotten how to do this. Like, the, like we're, we're, we're still in this mentality of like the 1990s uh, or early 2000s where everything is like, you know what, duck and cover because everything's shit. Uh, we're not going to be able to win these fights. We don't have the numbers. We don't have the power. And it's so bizarre to me because there have been so many movements that have risen since that do show that you can have power. I mean, the climate justice movement's a really good example of how it went from very institutional, middle of the road, white, to being uh, diverse and militant and engaging in civil disobedience. And it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden the liberals feel like they have to talk good things about the environment. I mean, obviously they purchased a pipeline, so fuck them. But, you know, the environment is something that that the liberals would say is is, is a priority for them. And so, you know, it's really important that we try not to shit the bed in this moment. <laughs> like, that would be really cool if we could avoid that. But the NDP, I think, is a really important key in all of this. And they have been so absent, so absent. All Like, the only thing the NDP is right now, or it has been reduced to, is individual members of parliament or members of provincial legislatures saying stuff. And that's it. Like, you know, like there's Charlie Angus who got super mad <laughs> at committee and I kind of wanted to give him a slap and be like, dude, relax. <laughs> but, you know, Charlie Angus was out on Wii hardcorely. Uh, Matt Green is doing amazing work, but it's just him. Like, uh, you know, it, like it, there's there doesn't seem to be any, it, it, again, institutional backing to the party. And it's like, where is that? Where is party membership and local presidents and whatever actually being that opposition voice it it's as if it's like 
everybody's hiding in their basement or hiding under coats and hoping that they'll like trip on a vaccine and then be cured and never have to deal with this again. But it's like, <laughs> folks, you're going to miss the fucking moment. You're going to miss this. And if you miss this, I mean, if you miss this, then you're getting out of the way for maybe the new generation to build something else. One of the things uh, that w was in their platform really strongly uh, was the decriminalization of all drugs. I can only imagine right now, it'll be really interesting to look back on this period to see uh, what substance use was like during this period and, and whether or not uh, people really turn to substance use uh, during this period uh, where people may be feeling a certain type of loneliness um, or the job loss, the, the devastation of, of major changes to their lives, uh, the NDP should be talking about that right now, especially at this time. Like, this is the perfect time to be bringing that stuff up. Uh, you know, looking to uh, other countries who have started to talk about reducing the work week, what a perfect time to talk about shifting the economy such that we're reducing the work week. What if we were talking about um, opening up schools with the realization that, well, teachers need to spend more time coming up with ways to engage their classrooms online. So maybe let's give them a day in the classroom without the kids. And maybe we shorten the work week there or the education week there as well. Like they're just, I'm, I'm just spitballing ideas that are coming to my head right now. I'm not saying that this is what they need to take up, but there are ways to discuss progressive ideas right now and put it on a national stage because now is the, is the perfect time to bring up these ideas that have existed on the left for a long time, but just haven't had um, a mass interest. I mean, that's what defunding the police is, too. Like, that is an idea that's existed on the left forever. But now is the time that it has some cachet because of everything that's going on. Well, NDP, like, organized parties, like, that is your role right now. Like, that is... Gosh, this is so much your role right now, especially with the climate. I actually think that uh, the, the lack of discussion on how this moment could shift everything with respect to the climate crisis, if we were to change the way that we're engaging on it, is so crucial. And it is just breaking my heart that the NDP has been doing a lot of just individual statements. It's not taking over uh, the message on any of the large ticket issues that it really needs to be taking over the message on. The only parties I'm really hearing from is the liberals apologizing for all their bullshit and announcing new things every other day. Like, oh, and here's another thing to solve a thing. And the conservatives are getting out there and saying like, oh, scandal number 5,052. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're doing what they can. Like, where is the NDP uh, changing the channel? We want so badly for you to change the channel. You could make this a moment to focus on the climate. You could make this a moment to focus on decriminalization. You could make this a moment for so many things. Make this your moment. Yeah, if you don't take this moment, I mean, why do you even exist? Uh, in the last week alone, um, there has been uh, the last giant ice shelf collapsed, <laughs> like a really big 
a moment in the global warming of the planet. There was also a Canadian who died in ice custody from COVID in the United States. Um, the, there's still the safe third country agreement that, you know, again, like member of parliament Jenny Kwan has been doing work on, but it, it's just a single voice. It, do, it doesn't get past that one kind of, oh, we've been saying it, we've been saying it. And, and partly I think that the NDP is infected with this like uh, belief that like if they just identify liberal hypocrisy, then that's enough. Then the journalists will pay attention to them and people will go, oh, yes, that's very true. Yeah, the liberals are completely corrupt. I didn't um, didn't think about that till this corruption scandal. And the problem, of course, is that is that it doesn't work like that. Like the liberals are masterminds of political strategy and they're very, very good at changing the channel. As you said, the, the, the conservatives are, too. And the way that they do this is they say outlandish stuff that is racist or that is wrong or that is just like, you know, trying to get people's attention. Though The NDP could do that. Right. The NDP could say bold and provocative stuff. That would get attention. That would get them into the newspaper. They they also could be, I don't know, pulling stunts in Ottawa. Or I don't know if they're having press conferences and the press just don't show up. But I kind of suspect that they're just not having press conferences. So where are your press conferences? Like make, make media availability. Pass stories to journalists. Be present. And engage with radical politics. I mean, now is clearly when we've got a majority of Canadians are, are in favor of defunding the police and the NDP hasn't come out and said that they would defund the police. I mean, are you fucking waiting for the for for another ice shelf to grow and then fall into the sea? <laughs> like <laughs> what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You're you're the I know there's a lot of problems within the NDP in terms of the finances and the infrastructure, but if you don't see this moment as being the moment to actually get more donations and all of that po crass politicking, then you folks are out to lunch. Then just, just hand the keys over to, I don't know, a bunch of 18-year-olds who are good at memes, and maybe <laughs> they can turn the party around. I agree with that. It's like, look, to the NDP, to the unions to the not-for-profits we say we give you all of this criticism with love and hope yes <laughs> that you will take it and just think really deeply about what is the most ethical and responsible way to engage in this moment to assist your membership but beyond your membership to exist as a part of this society that desperately needs your politics we need your politics and if you don't do that, something will replace you. It may be too late for so many of us when that time comes. And so come on, please, let's let's change some lives um, and let's save some lives uh, with our imaginations, with our creativities, and with our organized presence. Mm -hmm. 